The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. So good morning again. Uh, my name is Dale Miller, if you don't know me. Uh, I'm one of the elders here as well. Um, I, get, I, I have the elder of miscellaneous, I think. Uh, Randy's the lead teaching elder. Uh, so he does this normally, three, about three or four. Uh, three Sundays in a row, we usually give him a, try to give him a week off at a time. Um, but I'm glad to, that you're here, as, as Randy said, on Labor Day. Uh, come out in, um, uh, as a weekend. It kind of marks the kind of the ending of the summer. And I was thinking about that, like, especially for Myrtle Beach. You know, like the push for Myrtle Beach is tourism season and the summertime, and everything's kind of going crazy. And, um, and like this, this Labor Day weekend is the last hurrah. And uh, thankfully, uh, Keetra and I, uh, because of Miss Joan and Alicia and Miranda willing to watch our kids and watch uh, Randy and Megan's kids, we were able to go out uh, Friday night, uh, go downtown Myrtle Beach area. I don't get down there very much. Got to walk on the boardwalk underneath the big sky wheel and everything. And so uh, just thinking about that and thinking about the, this last ride and everything closing, coming to a new rhythm of life. Okay, everything's about to transition. Summer's coming to an end. What's about to start? And really, the, our, our lives, a lot of us, are, are marked around um, the actual rhythm of life of school beginning. Um, and so we got school starting up, and then also, uh, as a, a glorious gift from God, we got college football st- starting up. Can I get an amen from somebody on that? I see a couple, at least some nods. That's, that's good for Dr. Church to get a nod. I appreciate that. Um, but I started thinking about, like, Summer's over. I mean, teachers had this lot of this conversation. Like we had all these aspirations for this summer. What we were gonna get done? We'll get organized. We got you know homeschooling coming up. We got to get all that stuff squared away. And we got all these plans. And I sit there that night thinking, like, man, we, where did the summer go? What what happened? It's it's gone. We we haven't accomplished what we we hoped. Um, but then I started thinking about well, you know, we didn't get the opportunity to really do something this summer. But I started thinking about like missed opportunities, but thinking about summertime and trips and planning things and getting ready for a journey, because that's what we're going to do, right? As Randy talked about, we're going to be here forever in Exodus. We're going to, we even call it our journey, like, hey, this is, this is going to be a long, you know, this isn't a sprint, this is a marathon we're getting ready to be on. And so I started thinking about like preparing for a journey or a trip. Um, so did, did anybody here, were y'all more fortunate, me and Keetra, did you get to go anywhere this summer, have any big plans, do anything? I got nothing. I got nothing. This is going to be pretty tough for my intro. So have you ever gone on a trip? Have you ever done anything uh, and planned something? Okay, we've had a few nods on that. I got a hand in the back. That's good. Mm-hmm. Hand here. Man, this is awesome. Uh, so I started thinking about that planning and getting ready and, and daydreaming about the trip and what you're going to do. And, okay, I gotta, we got to pack this. If you've got kids, you've you got to pack like five suitcases. And, and, and also, if you're going somewhere with kids, it's not a vacation. It's, it's called a trip. I'm saying trip on, on purpose because it's not a vacation. Um, so I started thinking about that, and I started thinking about our journey. We're about to go on in Exodus. And started getting excited about that, like I'm planning a trip, we're going somewhere, we're going to do something, you know, um, on a vacation slash trip. Uh, and I just started th- thinking about Exodus itself and where we're going and getting really excited about it. And hey, I was put up first to bat on Exodus, like, all right, I'm ready. I've been doing all my prep, looking at the overview of the book and how everything's going to be. Um, 
but the Lord kept bringing me back around like, it's, you still got to get prepared for the journey. Like you just can't jump into the book of Exodus. And so my hope for us this morning, what we're going to do is actually spend um, some time in Genesis. And we're going to spend time there really because Exodus is a continuation of the book of Genesis. Um, but I also started, I, I do want to share um, a little bit, you know, as we, as we are going and starting our journey on Exodus, I imagine most of us here has a background with that book of the Bible. So, I mean, how many people have seen the Ten Commandments with Charleston Heston? We got a few, few, they didn't want to raise their hand high. All right, so how about, how about the new movie, the Exodus movie? How about that one? I think, and, I, and I, I put it in this order because I think we'll probably get the most hands out of our church from this next one. So how many people have seen VeggieTales, Mo in the Big Exit? Yes, which is, it's my favorite of all three of those, I'll just be honest. So if you, ha- if you, if, if you need to borrow it, you see some of us, we're sure we'll lend it out. It's, it's a good one, pick it up. Um, but seriously, God has used, and part of my excitement about Exodus, God has used this book, uh, when I started reflecting back and preparing for it, uh, in many ways. So Keetra and I were newlyweds. We were married less than a year, and uh, we got pulled in to the next children's musical at the church we were uh, members of. So it was a story on the Exodus. So it was a musical with dance moves and all, and we were up there with a bunch of little kids, and uh, so that was a great uh, newlywed experience together to go through that. I still can't go to the Ten Commandments without singing the song to get through them, um, but then also, uh, soon after that, uh, the good man Jonathan Shanks, many of y'all know him, he was, I had some pressure to, to start uh, in leadership in, in a Bible study that he was involved in. And I held off and held off as long as I could, and then finally I just succumbed to the pressure and said, okay, you, you obviously see the Lord's calling me into this, I will, I will submit to that. And uh, it was pretty neat because the first year in leadership, we were in the life of Moses. And so that's... In BSF, when you do that, you, you study the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy in nine months. And so it was, it was some heavy sledding, but it was a great season of my life and learning. I will confess that uh, since that season, I haven't spent much time in the book of Leviticus or Numbers, but I'm just saying, I just confess that outright this morning. Um, but, I, but I started thinking, you know, as we're about to embark on this journey, we really do need to spend the time this morning... Um, to prepare by looking at what the book of Genesis has for us. So let me pray, and then we'll get rolling. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord, I do thank you for your word and how it does transform our lives, Lord. I thank you to be involved in a church that, that holds that up high, that we want to come to your word and see what it says to us. Lord, allow your word to interpret our life and not allow our situations to interpret what's going on. Lord, I pray as we, as we spend this time this morning to go through, uh, to be prepared for the journey, Lord, that you would come and meet us now, that we would, as we've been talking about, we would not go on alone, or that we need you to go with us. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so I'll let you go ahead and turn to the book of Genesis, anywhere in the book of Genesis because we'll get there sometime this morning, okay? I know all y'all are like, oh my goodness, what's, what's going to happen? I promise y'all, I got a timer up here. I won't run too long. But anywhere in the book of Genesis, you can turn there. We'll be there. Um, so Genesis overview, okay? 
We start out in Genesis, very beginning of chapter 1, we see God, the creator of heavens and earth, and he blesses mankind. But mankind forfeited this blessing uh, through rebellion and sin against God. And really, that fractured all relationships. It just fractured the relationship between God and man. It fractured the relationship between husband and wife and also fellow men. It fractured the relationship between mankind and creation. And because of the sin and rebellion, chapters 3 through 11 really tracks this downward spiral of mankind because of sin. In chapter 7, we see God hit the reset button with Noah. So things have gotten really, really bad. He's, he's grieved over how the earth has become. And he said, okay, I found a righteous man. And we hit the reset button. We're going to reboot this whole thing up with having this family now have the line. But we see that mankind continually rebels against God after the flood. Because Noah, still connected to the original sin of Adam, has that sin in his heart and it continues on. Um, we see that Noah's line repopulates the earth and they have one language and they get together and, and in chapter 11 they're going to build this amazing city and this tower for their glory. So God sees what's going on and he realizes it, that, that the evil that's going to come out of this city and the track that they're on. So what God does is he confuses their, their language and disperses them over the face of the earth. In chapter 11, uh, after the scattering of Babel, there's a genealogy that flows all the way down to a man named Abram or Abraham. And so up to this point, you could wonder if you were just taking, as I did a big quick run through the first 11 chapters of Genesis, you think like, what's, what is the hope for mankind? We see the sin and it continues to affect them and, and draw them into rebellion and against God. Uh, but thankfully, we begin to see God's mission to rescue mankind in the scripture that Charles read to us this morning. And those verses in chapter 12, 1 through 11, really are a key moment in unfolding the overall biblical storyline. Here God chooses one family out of all the scattered nations from Genesis 11 so he can rescue all nations. So I'm going to read, I'm going to read again verses 12, 1 through 3, 4. So if you want to Turn there, or we may have some up on the screen. You can follow along. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So what we're going to do now, we have this promise, this, this opening covenant promise that I say really shapes the whole rest of Genesis. And we're going to follow this promise through from Abraham to his sons or in, in their son's sons. So the covenant God made with Abraham was renewed with Abraham's son Isaac. In Genesis 26, verse 3, God says to Isaac, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you. And will bless you. For to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath for which I swore to Abraham your father. And then to Isaac's sons, Jacob, we see in Genesis 20, uh, 28 that God appears to him and confirms the
the covenant to him. It says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and in you and from your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And Jacob, Jacob had a big family, all right? So he had 12 sons. So there's a lot of choices here that was going on. Okay, who's, who's really going to step up at this line of 12 guys, you know, these 12 sons? But Jacob had a favorite son, and it was his 11th son. It was Joseph. And so if you want to join me in Genesis chapter 37, we're going to pick up there, and there will be a lot as we cover in this section. You can probably flow through your Bible as we go through that. Now, Israel loved Joseph, I'm starting in verse 3, chapter 37. It said, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. He had a fly coat, is my translation of that. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the other brothers, all the other, all, all, more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully of him. And really, out of this hate, we track this story, what happens, out of this hate that they have for their brother, uh, they conspire to kill Joseph. Um, but instead, instead of killing him, they said, okay, wait, wait, we don't want to shed his blood. Um, they see a group coming along, and, and Judah, actually, his brother, says, okay, I, I got an idea. Let's, let's sell him to these nomads that are coming through that are going to Egypt. And so in Genesis 39... I'll read to you uh, what happens to actually Joseph as he is sold into slavery to the Ishmaelites. They take him to Egypt, and okay, what happens in Joseph's life now? So Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 through 6. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had from the time that he had made him overseer in the house And over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessings of the Lord were on all that he had, in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. So I just think this is pretty awesome to see, like, Joseph coming in, being bought in, uh, being bought by this captain of the guard, Potiphar, and Potiphar recognizing God's favor on Joseph, like seeing that. So he's outside of Joseph, seeing God's provision and kindness and favor towards Joseph. The end of verse 6 is where the twist of the story comes. So the relationship is good there between Potiphar and Joseph, right? The end of verse 6, it says, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. So to me, that's like he looked good, but he also had the body to back it up. You know what I'm saying? So... This did not get missed by Potiphar's wife. Like she noticed that Joseph was, 
well, looked good. He was handsome in form and appearance. And so what she does, she attempts to seduce Joseph. She's after Joseph, and, and, and I think to tell you what happens in the story, we, we, we come up and see that Joseph is caught alone in the house. So she sees her opportunity to really make that move on him. And so Joseph's response, I think, is just astounding to think about. She makes the move towards Joseph, and look at what his response is. It says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You see where he sees the sin is against? It's against God. So you would think that he would say, we might think that he would say, well, I'm sinning against Potiphar. This guy that's brought me in, put me in charge of everything. Life is pretty good to be in captivity in this house. But I think for us this morning is to realize that when we sin and we fall into sin, that it's primarily against God. Yes, we hurt and we sin against our brothers and sisters. But ultimately, when it comes to, I think that's just such a a ground-laying principle we have to live our life on because when we start thinking about sin and when we get, okay, well, this this isn't really not that bad. This nobody got hurt. It's when we realize what, what it's not about that person or if anybody found out. It's about how God relates to that sin. How could he do that and how could he sin against God by breaking the covenant that God had brought this couple into marriage? But Potiphar's wife, she was, she was, she had a hold to him. So they were close enough, she had his garment. And he takes off, and she still has it in her hand. She yells out. She yells out for the servants that are there to come into the house, and basically accuses Joseph of attacking her. So what happens is that, that he is falsely accused, Joseph is falsely accused, and as a result, he's put in prison. Pick up the story and Verses 21 through 23 says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. I mean, does that sound like the Lord was with him, you know, in our own eyes? Like, hey, I've been sold by my brothers into slavery. I'm in this house. I get falsely accused. Now I'm in prison, but it says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge and all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that, that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So while Joseph is spending this time in prison, the story continues. These two guys from Pharaoh's Inside track, the people that are very close to Pharaoh come to the prison. Pharaoh gets mad with them, kicks them into prison down there. So it's a, it's a, it's a cupbearer, which we learned a lot about a cupbearer when we went through the book of Nehemiah and how that was so close to, to the a position of honor um, and a baker. And they had these dreams. And, and Joseph, uh, through God, interprets these dreams. So the cupbearer tells him the dream, What's going on? Joseph interprets it, and it's a good interpretation. He's like, all right, you can get out. You're going to be right back in your spot. Pharaoh's going to bless you. This is going to be great. So, so the baker's like, all right, well, that's good. What's, what about me? What's my, what's my dream mean? He said, 
Mm-mm, not for you. It's going to be bad. You're going to be dead. So this sets the stage, really, in the book of Genesis for Joseph to interpret a dream for Pharaoh. But when he gets out of prison, when the cupbearer leaves and they're leaving, Joseph's like, remember me. I'm here. I shouldn't be here. But remember me and tell Pharaoh about me and my situation. Cupbearer's like, I got you, man. I got you. Two years later is when it comes the opportunity for Joseph to interpret a dream for Pharaoh. So here we'll read about that and the interpretation of that dream in Genesis chapter 41, verses 28 through 30, if you want to turn there. This is Joseph talking to Pharaoh. It is I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will, be, there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land. So then Joseph goes on in that chapter to outline a plan to gather and store up the grain during the good years to be used to sustain Egypt during the bad years. In response to that, Pharaoh in verse 39 of this chapter, 43 says, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it in Joseph's hand, and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. I was liking that part. I was thinking that what he was rocking out, some fine linens and a good gold chain. And he made him ride, and he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. So I think we quickly went and see like how Joseph's life had totally dramatically changed, right? So now he is second in command, really in the greatest and, and most powerful nation of the time. And really God has set the stage for Joseph to be in a position to save his family. Like God has orchestrated these events that by all means that we would see are tragic. We would probably label them as tragic or bad circumstances. But God has fashioned those and woven them in a place that he is in a position to save his own family. And that's what happened. That's what we'll spend the rest of our time together talking about this great famine and how it brought Joseph's brothers to Egypt to buy grain. Joseph recognizes his brothers as they come in and they present themselves to him to buy grain, but they didn't recognize Joseph. I think it was the gold chain that threw him off. And he's like, oh, Joseph didn't have a gold chain. But Joseph, I, I really enjoyed going through this scripture from a quick glance and overview because just to see how Joseph interacted with his brothers. It says, Joseph speaks roughly to them and accuses them of being spies. And it's upon Joseph's interrogation that Joseph is actually getting information that he wants. So he finds out, he learns that his father's still alive, 
that his youngest brother is alive. And so Joseph has a plan. He says he instructs them to really prove that they're honest men. He said, okay, one of you guys are going to be locked up here. While the other nine return home with some grain I'm going to give you. But I want you guys to bring back your youngest brother to prove to me that you're honest men. So when the brothers return home, they tell Jacob the story, what happened, all this would happen. And he's like, what? Why are you telling them all this information? I said, this, he was pulling it out of us. We were in a position, we, we were having to tell what was going on. But Jacob couldn't bear the thought of losing Benjamin. He'd already, in his mind, lost Joseph. He couldn't bear the thought of losing Benjamin, so he wouldn't let him return. The famine continues. This family eats all the grain that Joseph has sent down with them. So Jacob comes back and says, you guys need to go back. Y'all need to go buy more grain. And the brothers are like, no, no, no. We're not going without Benjamin. This guy said, if you don't bring Benji back, you're going to be dead. That's the, the DSV version, the Dale Standard version, if you were looking for it. So they're like, there's no way we're going back. So Jacob relents. And sends his boys on their way with even more money and gifts for this man. Upon returning, uh, upon their return, uh, Joseph actually sees them coming. He says, all right, tells his servants, he said, I want you to prepare a feast. I'm going to dine with these gentlemen at noon. Prepare a big feast for me. And so Joseph comes in. The feast is there. He sits down and he sits and sees his youngest brother, Benjamin, face-to-face. And he pulls a randy. Y'all know what that is? He runs out the room to cry. So I got a few laughs out of it. But if you know our boy Randy, he's a little cl- he, he can let him flow a little bit. gets emotional. Uh, and, and it's safe. I know y'all are like, like, this dude is about to get punched by the other elder talking about him like that. So... I am very thankful that me and Randy are that close to be able to joke around about that. And I have to share one story uh, as we continue to walk through this. Um, we had the last Sunday that Josh Panos was here for his internship before he, he went off to Minnesota. It was an emotional Sunday. And Randy was just like, I am not going to make it through. I am not going to make it through. I'm going to lose it. What am I going to do? So after service, we have a wrap-up meeting where we we'll huddle up again and just talk about you know, the service, or uh, do we need to follow up on anybody? Um, just kind of some shepherding things that we go through. So everybody was gone. It was basically my family, Randy's family, and Josh. And uh, I was telling my goodbyes to Josh and hugging him and stuff. And, and he turned around. And then when he turned back around, I saw Josh was emotional. And it, it took me off my feet. I was like, whoa, my goodness. And, and it's just normally not to see Josh like It was like seeing him out of character almost, you know. And so it really caught me off guard. And then I thought, oh, Randy is going to lose it. There's no way Randy's going to be able to keep it together if he sees Josh like this. So that Randy was outside. And so I proceed over to the window to look out. Like laughing like, oh, he, Randy's going to lose it. Randy is going to lose it. So they give their goodbyes and Randy comes out. And Randy, Thomas, he looks, he sees my eyes. And I'm like looking, laughing, so now y'all know how to pray for me. I was sharing that a little bit. You can see where I need to grow. Uh, <laughs> I felt like people needed a break from the story. 
All right, so getting back into this story, now that uh, he's come back from the curtain. That's a little bit of payback. Randy will throw you in a sermon, so just be careful. I would, I would agree. I probably, I probably a lot of people in here are very thankful right now because he will throw you in a sermon. All right, so back to the story. Where was I? All right, his brothers are there. He cries. He comes back in. And so you would think, you know, Joseph goes out. He sees Benjamin's there. They're all there. You would think, like, okay, um, it's time to let him know what's going on. But no. He continues to, to string them along. Um, and so what he does then, he says, all right, guys, I'm going to send you all back. I'm going to give you all provision. You've been a bunch of provision and go back home. And what he does is he tells his servant, he said, okay, I want you to get my personal silver cup, and I want you to put it in the bag of the youngest one. So he sends them off. Praise for him, blesses them with a hedge of protection. Say, go back to, go back to Canaan. Then he tells the servants, "Okay, go get them. Go get them. Pull them over. Go through their bags. And the plan is going to be the one that is found with the cup or has stolen possessions from me. He's going to be my slave. He's got to come back. The other brothers can go home. So that happens. They get lined up. They're like, hey, we're we're honest, man. We didn't do anything." They're going through the bags, one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, goes to the bag, sees that Benjamin has the cup. And so they, the, the brothers lose it. They know that, they can't, that Jacob is going to be distraught if anything happens. They have pledged their life for their brother to even get down there. And so I think it's neat to see these brothers' changes, too, as God's taken on this journey. Because remember, they sold Joseph into slavery. But when they're told that they, that they could leave, they won't go. They say, no, we're going back. We're all going back. And they come and they fall before Joseph and they, they plead for Benjamin's life. Judah, the one, the ringleader that sold Joseph into, into slavery in the first place, is the one to pledge his life. Said, no, exchange my life. Let Benjamin go home. I will be your slave. I will stay. So now at this point, at this point, Joseph can't take it any longer. He requests to be left alone with his brothers, and he weeps so loud that the neighbors hear him. And he tells the brothers, I am Joseph. It is me. I am Joseph. I am your brother. And they can't, they can't even speak. So let's read specifically what Joseph tells his brothers in Genesis chapter 45, verses 5 through 8. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing or harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and the ruler over all the land of Egypt. What a perspective. What a perspective to see God's sovereignty in this. On down in Genesis chapter 45 and verses 16 through 18, it says, When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this. Load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take 
your father and your household and come up to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. So we see Genesis really closing out as a house of Jacob settling in the land of Goshen. They gained possessions in it. They were fruitful. They multiplied. Like things were good for the Hebrews at that point. It says Jacob lived in the land for 17 years before he died. Now just think about this, the favor that this the, the house of Jacob had by verses, uh, Genesis chapter 50, verse 8, it says that the Egyptians wept for 70 days for Jacob's death. So God's favor on the house of Jacob is evident. They were highly favored by the Egyptians. Like I said, we, we close out, we come to the begin, end of Genesis with this sense that life is good for, the, for Israel. But as we begin our journey next week, that we'll see over the next 400 years from the close of Genesis to the beginning of Exodus, things go very bad for the people of Israel. Now, Pharaoh, there's, there's new pharaohs that come to power who didn't know or care about Joseph at all. And they begin to severely oppress the people of Israel. And, and one of the reasons I love studying Scripture and walking through it together is actually discovering and seeing and being reminded of how God has beautifully woven his overall story together. See, really, this, this change in favor of the Egyptians shouldn't have been a, a surprise to the people of Israel. It should have been anticipated. So when we see Charles read verse, uh, chapter 12, verse uh, 1 through 3 for us in the beginning of that promise, God seals that promise. This is in Genesis chapter 15. So if you want to turn there as we close out the last part of application of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 through 14, it says, Then Abraham said to, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants theirs. There, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. And for us, I think about, as we close out and we think about this story and how it relates to us as believers in Christ, it reminds me that we should not be surprised either when we endure affliction in our Egypt. Christ himself tells us, in the world you will have tribulation. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. James chapter 1, 2-3 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produced steadfastness. Those are tough. Those verses you're not going to see on coffee cups. These are tough verses to live with sometimes. Now, I do love Romans 8, 28. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. But this verse also scares me because in the context of this verse, it's talking about suffering with Christ in this present time. The Apostle Paul, who is well acquainted with trials and tribulations in his second letter to the Corinthian church, Speaking about his own personal thorn in the flesh states, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, 
for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am made strong. So swinging back to Joseph. I believe what is revealed of the character and nature of God during Joseph's trials is the Lord being with Joseph. And the Lord was with, it says the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. I think that 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 principle in itself was in, that we read about in 2 Corinthians was in Joseph's heart. That that's how he could serve and be content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities because he knew that God's grace is sufficient for him. It's not saying that the trials aren't hard or not tough or we don't feel a way and, and, and it's very difficult and sometimes we feel all alone but we can rest in the truth that knowing that Christ is sufficient in those times. And that's my hope uh, for myself, to be honest, because I read those and I struggle with it. Like, am I going to have that? Am I going to believe that Christ will be sufficient? It's my hope for myself and for this church community that we would grow in trusting in that truth, that he is sufficient in every trial we face. And I pray, as we saw in the life of Joseph, how God used his life to set the stage to save his family and to continue this promise that was given originally, that we would see and understand our circumstances as opportunities for Christ to be proven all-sufficient and all-powerful. And I know that naturally, myself and many of us, when trials and tribulations come, what is the thought that invades our mind? The thought is, why me? Why me? But my prayer is that we would quickly look to our loving Father and wholeheartedly in belief be able to answer the question of why me with, it's for good and his glory. So in your life, when you are hated by your family and sold into slavery, the question evades, why me? My heart. I pray our heart's response will be for good in his glory. And notice I didn't say for my good. We might not even be able to put that on there. I think ultimately that is a truth, but I'm just asking this to think about just the change in perspective, okay? We ask, why me? That's centered, self-centered. But I pray that God, in our mind we have that, I pray that God would fashion our hearts and, and, and allow us with faith and in growing in him be able to say it's for good and for his glory. So when you are falsely accused and thrown into prison, and the question comes, why me? I pray our heart's response would be for good and his glory. When you're forgotten and left in prison for two years, and the question comes, well, why, why me? I pray our heart's response would be, it's for good, for his glory. And I pray that this confidence that we have in the Lord's promise would be undergirded most of all. It would be held up by a confidence and a knowledge and a trust that you have been purchased by Christ and that he suffered and died in your place. 
Galatians chapter 3, verse 29 proclaims that, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. So if you're here today and we've been walking through this journey, uh, walking really with this family through Exodus or through Genesis, and it seems foreign to you. This family line seems foreign to you. I ask you to consider confessing your rebellion against God, humbling, bowing your heart to the Lordship of Christ, and be adopted into this royal family. If, we are belie- if you're a believer in Christ today, you are Abraham's offspring because you are Christ's. Let me pray. Lord, I pray that this morning we've been able to prepare for the journey that's before us that we're going to embark on. That the foundation of the storyline would be there to understand your working and your grace and mercy that is shown in Exodus. But most of all, Lord, most of all, Lord, I pray that we would be prepared for the journey of life. That with its ups and downs, that, Lord, you would teach us, you would grow us, so that on any point of the journey, when we ask, why me, the response will be for good in your glory. And Lord, I pray that it's not an individual journey. I pray that we would, we would push into community and that we would remind each other of this truth when we can't even bear to say it. Lord, give us wisdom when to, to push into there and when to, to not. Lord, because life is real and there's moments where we We feel like we don't even want to hear that truth. But I pray that you would build us up so when those moments come that we would be able to reach out and we would be able to hold on to that truth. Lord, I pray. I pray that you would continue to build this body to be a body that is open. Be willing to sacrifice our own comfort and our own lives to be able to walk beside others. And Lord, I pray that those who don't know you would see that community and see the taste of that community and and be drawn to you, Lord. That through it, it wouldn't be a a building us up, Lord, but the byproduct of it all would be you would be glorified and that people would be saved and people would come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I thank you for our adoption. I thank you that, that we can say that this is our family line Abraham and Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph are our our line. That you have grafted us into that line by purchasing us at your death. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts as we have the opportunity to close out service and go into communion. We would spend this time to be thankful for believers to be drawn into this. 
And Lord, to ask when we're struggling, Lord, that these truths would be real and we could, we could hold on to them. Help us, Lord, in our unbelief. Help us believe. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.